At the age of 16, Mattia Squire was close to being classified as just another statistic. Pregnant, a school dropout and estranged from her family, she was isolated living in a small country town, contemplating her next steps. This episode tells the remarkable story of what happened next, when against all odds and with the judgement of society against her, Mattia chose to have her son. The years that followed were tumultuous and uncertain as she navigated raising a child when she was still a child herself. At 19, with a three-year-old in tow, unemployed and nearly broke, she felt destitute and broken. Fast forward to now and Mattia is today an accomplished lecturer, speaker, business owner, board director, startup mentor and COO, who found a new way forward for herself and her son through the life-changing gateway of education and the catalyzing power of a stranger seeing the potential in her that she couldn't see in herself. Mattia believes your circumstances should never dictate your potential and that the only person you are destined to become is the person you decide to be. Here's our conversation with Mattia. Mattia, I want us to all in our minds go back, um, back into a house and see you age 16 and you've been vomiting and feeling sick and you decide to do a pregnancy test. Can you talk to us about that moment as a 16-year-old? Um, <laughs> it, it's always uh, difficult going back to that because I think that was the scariest moment in my life or it was just such a catalyst for everything that was about to happen that I could have never imagined. So yes, I. it was funny because my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, um, we we were in a, a split bathroom and you've got the toilet on one side and the shower on the other and I told him before, like he, he hopped in for a shower and I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this test now because I've just got to get it out of the way so I can stop you know, having anxiety over whether or not I'm pregnant. And I remember doing the test and, you know, I, you know it, it almost happened immediately that the second line showed up and I just, I don't, I don't know exactly how to describe what I felt. I think shock, um, denial, uh, yeah, there's plenty of other words I could probably use. But the first thing that I did is I walked up to where my husband was and I just held the box to the pregnancy test and I held the pregnancy test up and there's a very clear diagram on the back that says two lines equals pregnant. And he like smiled at me and then it was like that moment of realisation and he just said to me, you're telling my parents. <laughs> so that was like the moment we found out. And at the time, my brain was just thinking a million miles an hour of, what am I going to do? Like I don't have, you know, I had my, my partner's family there, but I didn't have my mom. I didn't have my dad. I didn't have any real family support when I was there. I was just 16. I was not going to school. I was working a part-time job. I was in no position to raise a child and I had no intentions of doing so prior to finding out I was pregnant. So I guess at that exact moment, it was just, a massive feeling of uncertainty and I was just I was terrified I think um so yeah that was that was the moment um but yeah it was very scary <laughs> and understandably scary Mattia you, you've just mentioned that you had the support of your boyfriend's parents but you've just told us you didn't have the support of your parents and you weren't in school help us understand what was happening for you in those years 
with regards to family and education? So I was a very academic student as a kid. Um, I loved school. I always wanted to go to university. Um, but family circumstances meant that I was separated from my family. And uh, as all teenagers do, we try to find our place in the world. We want to be loved. We want to have self-worth. We want to feel like we have a sense of belonging. And so I went out when, when everything else in my world fell apart, so school fell apart, my family fell apart, I went looking for my own family. And um, I, I met my partner very, very young. Um, and uh, I got, very, got into a very serious relationship at a young age because that to me was me finding my place of belonging. Um, I did end up reconnecting um, with my dad. I was still talking to my dad, um, but he lived in a different state and he had, um, you know, he'd begun a new relationship and had a new family. So I think I also placed a barrier between myself and my, my father because I felt like he had moved on. And I know that my dad didn't feel that way, but when you're a, a teenager and you've got all this stuff happening at once, sometimes we get so caught up in what we think the situation is or we get prideful and we don't want to ask for help. So at that time, I didn't have much contact with my dad and unfortunately with my mother and, and what happened in the past, um, she was not a, a person that was healthy for me to have a relationship with, um, which was something that I, I struggled with for a very long time, accepting that not everyone gets your healthy mother-daughter relationship, unfortunately. And when you're pregnant, um, you know, you're going to bring life into this world. Your mother is the person you want by your side. So that definitely played a huge part in the uncertainty and the way I felt about I myself becoming a mother. Mm. So, yeah, it's definitely, uh, it was a bit isolated at the time, I would say, but I did have really good friends and, um, uh, you know, I think that you can also build support networks around yourself and they don't necessarily have to be blood related. So, while I say I was a strain, yeah, I still had people, yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to that moment. You've got the two lines on the pregnancy test and you say, like, let's tell his parents. Yeah. What happens next? Um, well, my, my husband's mum, she already knew, like, immediately. She's like, positive. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> she goes, okay, what do you want to do about it? And I said, I don't know. Like, I was just in such a state of turmoil. I was so confused, afraid, like, thinking about what it would be like when my mother found out. Um, you know, telling my dad was nowhere near as scary as telling my mum. But, you know, I was just afraid. Um, I wasn't ready. I didn't feel ready. I didn't feel equipped. There was just so much self-doubt happening in my brain at that point in time. So at that exact moment, I had no idea what I wanted to do. But the very next step was you had to go to the hospital to the health nurse, um, where the hospital then had to um, do another test to make sure that you definitely were pregnant. I did that and we had this discussion and she made me write down the pros and cons of me keeping the child versus not keeping the child. And um, it didn't look good on my side. I didn't have my mum or my dad around. I was 16 and pregnant to my 16-year-old boyfriend. Um, I, I dropped out of school. Um, you know, I, it, it didn't paint a positive picture. And um, this particular health nurse had said to me, we can organise an abortion. I will um, get to the, because I was living in a rural town at the time. So if you needed to have this kind of thing done, you needed to have a, a, a you'd either need to travel to Adelaide or you'd need a, a doctor to come to the, the hospital, the local hospital, and perform um, the operation. 
Um, and so she was like, I'm going to contact them and organize it. And so she'd kind of gone ahead saying that I was going to have this abortion before I'd even really made a, um, a decision for myself. Um, and I was almost 100% convinced because she was telling me it's just a, it's just a sperm and an egg. It's, it's not live. It's only eight weeks. You can, don't have to go through with it. And it was, it's like everybody was telling me to have an, have an abortion. Um, and I, I didn't want to, but I felt like I had to at that point in time. And the moment for me where I put my foot down and pretty much told everybody else to stop off <laughs> was she said to me, look, you still have to get an ultrasound even if you decide to terminate. Uh, when you go to the ultrasound, tell them that you don't want to look at the screen. And I said, uh, why? And she said to me, because you'll see the baby's heartbeat. And I just broke mm. like I shattered when she said that I just I couldn't imagine and I just said no I think I'm gonna have this baby I'm gonna do it even if I have to do it by myself even if everybody tells me my life is over I've ruined my life I'm, I'm gonna do it and so I got back in the hospital I walked in the door I looked my husband dead in the eyes <laughs> he was sitting on the on the lounge room like on the lounge room and I said we're having this baby. And then I went to the bathroom and drew up. <laughs> that was like the deciding moment. Like I just, internally, I have just internalised that decision. And yet you hadn't you hadn't had a conversation with your then 16-year-old boyfriend? It was not a collaborative decision? I did um, before I went to the appointment and his exact words to me were, I'm not ready to be a dad. And uh, let me tell you now, he wasn't ready to be a dad. He was ready to be a mum because he's like a mother hen. <laughs> he's, mm. a, he's such a, he's so, I'm seeing my son and my husband together makes everything I've been through absolutely worth it um, because he has just flourished. We both have. We've both put a lot of work in and done well. So I always have that joke with him because we remember that moment that he said to me, I'm not ready to be a dad. That's right, we're ready to be a mum. <laughs> You know that now, but at the time, when he's 16 years old, you don't know what his capacity to parent is and he's telling you the words, I don't feel ready to be a parent. So how do you get from that to we're having this child or I'm, or was it I'm having this child? I've always been incredibly stubborn <laughs> and very positive. I think like my positivity has been a trait that when I was younger sometimes annoyed people because they're like, why are you so positive all the time? <laughs> um, but for me, I just felt, I need to take responsibility. This is my child. This is, you know, it, it's my decision. It's my body. It's my future. And I'm making this decision for myself that, hello, high water, I'm having this child. Um, and I worked my entire pregnancy. I worked at a McCafe. I got my first job when I was 14 and I just stuck with it um, right up until I gave birth to my son. Um, and, you know, so I was like, I can earn my own money. I can buy everything I need. I can make sure that, you know, my child has what they need and that I can support them. And so I just, once I make a decision, I'm very good at sticking to it. So that was, that was it. So I am lucky that, you know, my, my husband, um, who was my boyfriend at the time, he did step up and he did become everything that I believed he could become. But at the time, I'd already made the decision that if it had to be just me, then that was okay too. And was he, had he dropped out of school as well? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so what did, um, what did his parents say 
when you've decided, right, we're going to have this baby, what was their reaction when you said that that's what you were going to go ahead with? Well, his mum was uh, 15 when she had him. So she was younger than I was. Um, So she had been there and she knew exactly what I was about to walk myself into. And she said, I will respect your decision and we will support you regardless. So um, that was really good. Like I know that they wished that we had waited and that we were, you know, a bit more mature before we'd have to take on this world of responsibility of of, of raising a a life, you know, bringing a life into the world. Um, But they were... They were supportive. So I was really lucky that I had them and also my dad. So my my mum, unfortunately, it was like I was proving a point to her that I didn't have a future. Um, but my dad, my dad said the most incredible thing to me. He said, look, I'm disappointed that you are having a child so young, but I would be more disappointed if you made a decision that you didn't really want to make. And oh, I needed to hear that so much because I needed at least one parent to believe I could I could do it. So my dad, he's the, he's the apple of my eye. I love my dad. And I was able to reconnect with him when I was 19 and I have a very close relationship with him now. Yeah, the majority of people, though, it was along the tone of you've ruined your life, you had so much potential and now you're going to not have that anymore. So it was a, it was a very big challenge to block out the negativity and focus on those who were there and did believe I could do it. Mm, I, I mean, as I'm listening through my psychological ears, we talk often in psychology about risk and protective factors. And when we're listening to a story, we're often thinking, well, I'll speak for myself, I'm often thinking about those risk and protective factors that um, either wrap around someone or can be, you know, a challenge for someone. And on paper, Mattia, you have um, several risk factors. You did as a 16-year-old. You're not at school. Your boyfriend's not at school. You're largely estranged from your mum. Your dad's in another state. And yet what I'm fishing for, and I know you've intuitively, innately done this, I think, is the optimistic lens. And so I'm thinking about what those protective, so-called protective factors are for you. And it sounds like they're very much the um, acceptance of your father to make your own choice, um, the support and love of your boyfriend and his parents. And also you've mentioned some good friends. And we know that a rich repertoire of friends is one of the strongest protective factors any human and particularly a teenage human can have. What do you think the factors were that helped you ride through this very challenging period in your life? It's hard thinking about it because it's so much easier to think about all the all the hardship and all the, the difficulties than it is to think about all the positives and the things that did get me through it. I think when my son was born and, you know, I held him for the first time, it was like something inside me just clicked and said, you you made the right decision, like you are going to give this boy the world. And it might take you a while, but you'll get there. That's not to say that there weren't massive hurdles to overcome my own insecurities, my own self-doubt, mental health issues. I struggled quite severely with depression for a while after my son was born. You know, the pressure of society did not just become another statistic. You know, people here 16 and pregnant and it's like a stereotype of, oh, unemployed, uneducated and, and um, single or, you know, like there's, there's common stereotypes that people associate. And even now at my age and the things that I've done in my life, I still 
sometimes run into people that when I say, because I say it quite confidently that I have a son and I am young because to me it's a strength. I don't see it as a weakness anymore. But you can see that it challenges their idea of what someone who started where I started should look like. <laughs> um, and you know, I think that's important that I challenge those, those perceptions. When we've spoken prior to, to this podcast, you've spoken about the idea of story and that's your right to define yourself. And what's that quote that you've got at home? Oh, the one I have posted everywhere. Um, yeah, so my, my favourite quote is, the only person you are destined to become is the person that you decide to be. And I love this quote because it talks about like your decision, you know, because so often we put ourselves in boxes or we assign ourselves with labels and then we, you know, we tie our identity into these things and we trap ourselves, we, we limit ourselves, we don't believe that we have potential because of our circumstances. You know, my circumstances as being a 16-year-old, you know, pregnant teenager were not ideal. It didn't look great. It didn't feel great at the time because I, I thought, oh, how am I going to, what am I going to do? How am I going to make sure that I am able to, to provide a life for my son and to, you know, make sure that I don't fall into these, these boxes and these labels? And it was just a constant battle with myself to not let other people define me or to not let my inner voice become their voice, to not let them channel their beliefs into me and let them become my beliefs. So for me, my, my leading things to and the advice that I give to all young women, regardless of whether or not they've had a child young or not, is don't let other people define you. Make sure that you are kind to yourself when you talk to yourself. If you catch yourself beating yourself up, take a moment and appreciate yourself more. Don't let your self-worth be dictated by other people. And think about the things that really mean the most to you. So whenever it got really tough, and I felt like I just couldn't go on, I would take a moment to think about if I gave up now, what would I lose in the future? What would what would that mean for my son? Um, and that pushed me through so many different times in my life. You know, navigating a relationship where you were children when you got together is a whole other area. Doing my double degree at university while raising a toddler and working, like shift work was a whole other layer of that. So for me, it was constantly reminding myself, what do I value? What do I want to achieve, not just for myself, but for my family? And, you know, just really centering myself around not letting those labels dictate to me what my potential was. What do you value and who did you want to be? Well, I always valued, you know, my relationships. I really deeply love my friends um, and my family. When I had my son, I wanted to give him the gift of, of, of family where he was unconditionally loved. You know, I think that a child should always have unconditional love. And so I wanted to build an environment where he knew that he would always be loved, that he would always be safe, and that if he, he fell down, there would always be there people there to help him get back up. So for me, that was what pushed me to become a better person, to nurture relationships that I knew would, you know, help me become a better person. Uh, I look back now and I look at some of the decisions I made and I shake my head, but I also realized that I was just a child and I can't be too hard on myself because we are constantly changing and growing um, and becoming better people. So. Yeah, hearing you say that, you could say I was just a child and I didn't have all the answers, but 
But I think you could reframe that and say, I was a child and yet I made these decisions. I made these choices and they've served me well. Yeah. I, I always wanted some meditation. Um, I hit rock bottom at one point where, you know, everything was falling apart around me. Uh, I was trying so hard to make things work and it was like I was hitting my head against a brick wall and I got intensely bullied at one point on social media. You know, two mums, we make an easy target, unfortunately. You know, I tried so hard not to let what people thought about me or say about me get to me. But, you know, if you constantly hear bad things, it's really hard to, to not let them affect you. And I just felt like I'd been defeated. And as I was sitting there in my defeat. What age? <laughs> wondering whether or not it was worth. Uh, 19. Mm. 19 at this point. Sitting there, I thought, that it doesn't get worse than this. I had no job. My relationship had fallen apart. I was being bullied online. You know, my mum my had been in and out of my life and unfortunately in a, not in a good way. And I thought that, you know what, they've won. I I am just a teen mum who hasn't accomplished anything. I'm not going to be able to give my my son what he deserves. I'm not the things that I wanted to be. And so it was just like this level of defeat that I never thought I would feel in my life. Like it was like rocks constantly sitting on my chest to the point I couldn't breathe. And I just felt mm. like that from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to sleep. Mm. And so how did you go from that to... You, you've done an enormous number of things in the business world now and you, I know you're involved in startups and you've got multiple university degrees. How did you go from that moment of sitting in that moment of defeat to then moving into an education pathway? I rang my dad, <laughs> um, which I usually only did during very drastic times because <laughs> I'm, I'm a prideful person. I wanted to prove a point to people. This is another thing that I had to learn is it's okay to ask for help. Like if you ask for help, it doesn't mean you're weak. It means you're strong because you recognize, hey, I need a hand up. And I rang my dad. I said, dad, I can't do this anymore. Like I've tried. I really have. I've done everything. I've tried so hard and still I failed. And he put my stepmom on the phone, who I didn't know very well at the time. And she said to me, look, it's okay. Come up here. Come up here to Queensland. Move here and give it another go. We'll help you. And I just thought, oh, but I'm going to be a burden. Like I don't have, like I don't have anything. I can't support myself. Like I've lost my job. I, and she said, it doesn't matter. Just book the ticket, and we'll pick you up at the airport. I had seven hundred dollars in my bank account. That's all I had to my name at this time. I'd lost my job, and I was at the time, you know, I was doing it by myself. It cost me exactly $700 to get from a rural town, country town, to, uh, to Townsville in Queensland. Because my son was an infant, he sat on my lap and I only needed one ticket, but that also meant I only had one suitcase. So I packed my suitcase with everything that he needed, all of his clothes, all of his, his everything that, for my son. And I walked up to my dad with the clothes I was wearing, <laughs> and that was it. That was all I brought for myself. I got back to my dad's place and it was kind of that moment of what now? I'm out of that toxic environment. Um, you know, it was a fresh start. And I thought, what is something that I've always wanted to do? And I've always wanted to go to university. I just didn't believe that I could do it anymore because I made the decision to have a baby young and I needed to take responsibility for that. And that meant that I wasn't worthy of going to university. 
because I'd made a decision that meant that that wasn't possible for me. But because I was already at that level of you've stuffed up everything, <laughs> I thought, you know what, stuff it. I'm going to give it a go. So I applied for a tertiary access course, which is a six-month course that you do to get your required credit points to get into university. And I remember the first day I went to uni, I was literally shaking from anxiety because I thought, who do I think I am that I can do university? I haven't completed high school. Um, I haven't. I don't know if I am still academic. Like, can I really do this? I have a job as well. I got a part-time job as soon as I got to town, so I've always worked because I always feel like I have to make sure that I can support myself and my son. That was one thing I never let myself not have, and that was a job. So I got a job at the casino. I was doing shift work, and then I entered into this tertiary access course, and I had a lecturer. She was so wonderful, and she said to me, you have so much potential. And I just burst into tears. Mm. I was like, you're the first person to tell me that. And I really, really needed to hear that. And then I got distinctions across the board and proved to myself that I actually could do it if I put my mind to it. I think I was a little bit overzealous as well. I studied really, really hard. People were so accepting. Like I met people who were my age and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, like, I'm a mum. And, and they were fine. They didn't care. It was me that had this this insecurity of what will people think of me will their opinion change of me which is such a dangerous thing to, it was such a dangerous way to think because I was automatically shutting people out before I'd even given them the opportunity to get to know me so it was a really amazing experience for me to meet people who accepted me for who I was uh, to see that I actually did have potential to do things that I thought would never be possible and to have my independence back and I got myself completely set up and you know, self-supported within uh, three months of being in Townsville. And then my uh, boyfriend, who's husband, it was, uh, husband now, uh, he travelled up three months later. Um, we actually spent some time apart because I needed to change and I realised that that wasn't going to happen unless both of us matured and we needed to really understand whether or not we were ready for that kind of commitment, that both of us are ready to do this together. And fortunately, that space that we had gave us time to really understand that, yes, we do want to be together, not just because we have a child together and not just because we're young, but because we, we want to work on this family and make sure that we, you know, build a future for ourselves. So it was actually really good having that space. And then when we restarted our life in Townsville, education was my pathway to then leading on to, it was the catalyst for everything that followed after with knowing that I can always grow as a person, I can meet inspirational and you know people that are models to me that I can look up to um, and mentors and and challenge myself and yeah so that for me education is something I'm so passionate about because education was my opportunity to explore my potential and it's what gave me the confidence to not let the teen mum label that so many people associated with, with me to get in my way the person who, well, there's a few significant people that have helped you on your journey, including your father, in in many ways, your now husband. But this lecturer sounded like a beacon amongst the shadows. And I understand now that you teach people in um, tertiary settings. How do you link those two stories? Yes, I do. Um, well, the, the first time I got asked to become a lecturer, I became an assistant language teacher at a high school. Um, when I was in university, um, one of my degrees is in languages. And um, during that time, I had so much fun teaching um, the kids because I was so close to them in age as well. Like, they really resonated with me and we had a lot of fun. 
And so I designed all of these different lesson plans and stuff. And the principal of that school um, was close with um, the head of the Academy of Modern Languages at the university and um, who was running the program. And they said that because of how well that I had um, done these, these activities with these kids and um, they offered me an opportunity to become um, a lecturer for the Academy of Modern Languages. So I started lecturing before I'd even finished university um, and I lectured in a program where we helped young people learn about and practice languages and help them to find career pathways or to get ready for university to study languages. And it was such a cool opportunity for me because it was my way of sharing something I loved with other young people and inspiring them to give, give things a go. And that led to me teaching at the university for a few years and then I moved to Sydney. And through all my work with startups, I was invited to join as a fellow of the Centre of Entrepreneurship at the University Business School, Sydney. And I specialise in um, marketing and branding, specifically personal branding. When I am teaching, especially uh, young women, and they come up to me at the end of the session and say, "I'm, you know, I feel so much more confident in myself now. I feel like I could put, you know, I could put a brand of myself out there, and you know, I value my authenticity. I value who I am more because of what you said." That, that to me is just such an amazing feeling when I know I've inspired people who otherwise would have let themselves be limited because they didn't have that confidence to then, you know, step out and really truly find themselves. And for me, that's always what I aim for is to let people know that it's okay to to be authentic. It's okay to, to value yourself and to value things and to share those with other people. So that experience from that lecturer who told me you have so much potential, now I can do that for, for others also. So it, it's a really... Um, a really special moment for me that I'll carry for the rest of my life. Have you been in touch with that lecturer? Actually, no, she left the university about a year after I started. I did email her when um, just before I went on my exchange to Japan. I did a business scholarship in Japan. Um, and I took my son over to Japan, which was a really cool experience, um, something I also never thought I would do. And she was really, really proud of me. But I haven't been in touch with her lately, but it would be really cool to chase her up and see where she is now. Yeah, and to let her know. She changed her trajectory. I mean, you chose what to do with it, but what she said to you was the catalyst. And then you you, you took the ball and ran with it. Yeah, there's so many people. I think a lot of us have a story of someone who gave us a gift like that at some point and how the world would be if we all made a point of reaching out to that person at some point, you know, Mm. would just fill her cup up no end. I'm sure she sounds like an amazing person and she would just be over the moon, wouldn't she, to see what you're doing and how you're paying it forward in extraordinary ways to young people. I feel like my shoulders um, sat back. I sat taller when you were talking about the power of personal brand and not being limited by self-beliefs. As you were speaking, I felt my body language yeah, change. I, I watched her. She did straighten her shoulders up. It's just such a powerful story that you're telling, you know, from teen parent, estranged from your family, all that struggle and hardship you went through in those quite a few years there, it sounds like. Um, and then education really being that gateway to the potential that that others saw but you didn't see in yourself. What's next for you? Well, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm now, I just joined a online education company, STEM education company, where we help to get creative and um, to challenge themselves through game design, which really aligns with my love for education and innovation. 
So at the moment, I'm just aiming to really help as many kids as possible to, to have that experience, to have to find models and people that they can look up to or learn from. I'm still a fellow for the Centre of Entrepreneurship and a, a startup mentor at the Sydney Startup Hub. So I spend a lot of time with startups, um, you know, helping them understanding their brands and, and what they can do. So for me, it's really just about, you know, having a positive impact and helping people who want to create that positive change in, in any way that I can, whether it's a student, a founder, a, a CEO, you know, I've worked across multiple countries, especially the Philippines. I'm also a board director for the Australia Philippines Business Council. We just did a, um, a national charity campaign that we raised over $70,000 to help students who were struggling through COVID. So for me, I'm just really attracted to things where I know that it's going to make a difference to other people's lives and that I can apply my knowledge and my skills to help them along the way. So for me, the future will probably still involve me teaching, volunteering, being involved with startups and just, you know, showing my son that, you know, nothing is impossible if you put your mind to it and that there is so much good that you can do in this world as long as you're willing to open your heart up and let people in. Your son is an incredibly lucky kid to have you as a mum. What's What do you love most about him? What makes him special? I love that he just has this, you know, he has this way of always being my strength, even when he's not even intending to do so. Just the tiniest mannerisms, the random things he says sometimes. I remember my husband and I, we were driving back from something and he was in the back of the car and he said, you know what, mum? I said, what, honey? And he said, I'm really glad that you and dad had me so young because I get to spend more time with you. <laughs> and my husband and I, we just both looked at each other and were like, time to go get ice cream. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he just, you know, he just he comes out with stuff like that sometimes and I'll take him to business events sometimes, you know, if they you know, if the kids are allowed. I took him to a Cisco women empowerment event one night and it was so funny because he just turned on little salesman mode <laughs> and he was like, My mummy knows everything about LinkedIn and he was just talking about all these amazing things that I do and I just didn't realise he paid so much attention. You know, it's like, I didn't know that you knew that I did all of this. Mm, which is the power of parenting, isn't it? It's what we, often what we do, not what we say, which is also leading me to to one of our final questions. I just want to backtrack just to your to your own father because there'll be people listening who, there'll be parents listening who have concerns about their children, who feel that their child's not on the pathway they should be on or is um, deviated in some way. What do you... What would you say to the parents who are fearful for their child gone awry in some way? I think you just have to have faith and patience and empathy. Kids are going to make mistakes and they're probably going to have to take responsibility for those. And in the context of a teen parent, I have never met a teen parent that wasn't harder on themselves than society could ever be. So I think that taking your time to give them space and listening to them, even if they have made a wrong decision, the chances are that they know that they've made a wrong decision, that they're defensive or scared or protecting themselves from what they know everybody is already thinking. So coming at it from a, a place of kindness and understanding and giving them the 
space to talk about how they feel without judgment. Like my dad did. He he said, I'll be honest with you, I'm disappointed, but at the same time, I want you to make the decision that you know is right for you. And that, you know, my dad had no idea how much that impacted me. You know, so it's really just about understanding that they're their own human too. They, they feel so deeply. Um, and when they're in places of strife or trouble, that's when they need the most, the most of, of the love that you have to give. Hmm. We always end our chats with extraordinary people like you, um, recognising that life is pretty messy a lot of the time and throws curveballs at us. Who do you think is doing human well? There, so there's a, a lady that I absolutely love and, and adore. Um, her name is Michelle Duvall. Um, she's the uh, founder and CEO of um, Fingerprint for Success. Um, and she's someone that I look up to uh, immensely because she is the kind of person who will, she has all the time in the world for you. She launched a company. She was, she was a coach before people really knew what coaches were. When she'd say she was a coach, they'd ask her of what sporting team. She's all about the same sort of vision as me as helping people understand themselves and their strengths and their unique strengths and not seeing their shortcomings as, as negative, but more as blind spots and opportunities. So her whole way of, of helping people understand themselves better and make better decisions for themselves is something I really value. Um, and the fact that she has been someone that I could share my, my story with and you know, learn from throughout my journey as an entrepreneur, as, as a businesswoman, as, as a woman in general, um, she's someone I really, really look up to. Mm. Well, thank you for being the woman you are. It's been an absolute privilege to hear your story and um, you're one to watch. You just keep achieving remarkable things. So thank you for being so honest and real with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for letting me share my story. It's been awesome. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Human Cogs. We know that being human is pretty messy for the best of us and we really hope these conversations challenge what you think you know about yourself and maybe some others in your orbit. And you know, Mads, as a psychologist, I know I'm having a good day at work when people say to me, Sabina, I've never thought about it that way before. That's what we hope your experience will be listening to Human Cogs. So if you want to find out more about other episodes or about this episode, jump on our website at humancogs.com. 